Hey everyone, this is Jackknife. Welcome to another bonus episode of the Cutting Edge 2023-24 Weekly New York Rangers Recap. We are in week 19 of the NHL season and the Rangers are coming off an absolutely insane week of hockey. This includes, without a doubt, their craziest game of the season. Definitely a, a season-defining win. Possibly the most iconic regular season game in Ranger history. I'm talking, of course, about the Stadium Series game against New York Islanders at MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey on Sunday. I feel like all of you listening right now, the few of you who do know about it, I'm going to recap it anyway, because I like you a lot. Now, don't take that too seriously. The Blue Shirts are first in the Metro with a 37-16-3 record, riding an eight-game win streak, coming off of wins against the Canadians, the, the aforementioned Islanders, and Stars since the last time I talked to you. They are six points ahead of the Carolina Hurricanes, the Canes with a game in hand, and 12 points ahead of the Philadelphia Flyers. They are second overall in the East, third overall in the league, and tied for the league lead in wins. Things have been looking up since Connor Mackey fought Parker from Mr. Meaty before the All-Star break. I will always refer to Brady Kachuk as Parker from Mr. Meaty. Anyway, let's recap these past three games for you real quick. Well, this might not be quick, but let's go. The first game was Thursday against the Montreal Canadiens. Second matchup of the season between these two. Montreal beat the Blue Shirts in the shootout earlier in the, in the year. In net for the Habs, again, was Sam Montembeau, who the Rangers never beat in regulation. The only time they beat him was in overtime or the shootout. I don't know which one it was. Well, the Rangers put up 31 shots on Montembeau, and they cashed in on seven of them. It was a very high-scoring game, and the Rangers came out on top 7-4. to four. Chris Kreider picked up his sixth career hat-trick. His first goal was a wrister from the high slot, and it came in the second period after he failed to beat Montembeau on a breakaway you know, just a few seconds prior to tie the game at 1. Montreal scored first in, in the first. Jake Evans gave Montreal a lead after the Rangers got caught heading up ice after failing to clear the puck. But as I mentioned before, Kreider equalized at the next period. His next goal will be on the power play to make it 4-1, a deflection from a Panarin shot. First power play goal in I don't even know how many games for the Rangers. As I mentioned, this is the goal to make it 4-1. Will Cooley scored prior, directing in a Ryan Lindgren shot pass with his backhand to make it 2-1. And Mika Zibanejad on a delayed penalty where the Rangers were shorthanded, blasted a one-timer on a feed from Fox to make it 3-1. I mean, this is technically a 5-on-5 goal when you consider the Rangers had five skaters because of the delayed penalty and being shorthanded already. I know that does not count. I'm just looking at the bright side. It was his 11th shorthanded goal as a Ranger, tying him for fifth most in franchise history with Walt Kachuk. No relation to Parker from Mr. Meaty. Anyway, Juraj Slavkovsky scored to cut the deficit to two, and that would do it for scoring in the second. In the third, Vincent Trocek made it 5-2. Then Cole Caulfield made it 5-3 on the power play. Then just over a minute later, Kreider completed the hat trick on a 2-1. It was a feed from Zabanjad. Now, I've pointed out how Zabanjad is slumping, partially because he isn't shooting, and his shot is his best asset. But in this case, no need to criticize it. It led to a goal and hat-trick. Kapokaka would score on a nifty move to make it 7-3. Caulfield would get another, but that's what the score would remain. 
as the Rangers came away with a 7-4 victory. Adam Fox recorded four assists this night. In net for the Rangers was not Igor Shosturkin, but Jonathan Quick. He stopped 32 of 36 Canadian shots. Not something to write home about, but after the game, here was a crazy stat that I read from 610 Barstool. He's the Bar, he's Barstool's Rangers guy without Avery Zareski there. Maybe I can join him one day. I can dream. And he pointed this out after the game. The Rangers are 3-2-1 when they allow four goals or more with Jonathan Quicker in net. With Igor Shosturkin in net, they're 0-12-0. Heading into Sunday's game, but we are saving that for later. The Rangers won, and the great news out of it is the Kreider hat-trick, obviously. Sixth of his career, and because it's Kreider and it's the Rangers versus the Habs, we always end up on this again. They just will not let this die. Ten years later, and especially after this game because he scored the hat-trick, Habs fans go on about how Kreider ruined Gary Price's career. After Kreider collided into Carey Price in Game 1 of the 2014 Eastern Conference Final. Just ignore the fact that Alexi Emelin slashed Kreider's leg and basically caused it to happen. No, not basically caused it to happen. Definitely caused it to happen. Whenever this incident comes up, I am very careful when wording it, when describing it to people. I never say Emelin tripped Kreider. Because Habs fans are morons, they'll hear that and gaslight you by saying, Then where did he fall forward? If you're tripped, you'd fall forward. As if that is some sort of own and that quote-unquote proves how Kreider meant to take out Price. Of course they don't like it when you show them the picture showing how much Emelin stick flexed when he slashed Kreider's leg. Because that alone shows that it did have an effect on the play. But yeah, they're right. Emelin didn't quote-unquote trip Kreider. He threw him off balance while Kreider was skating 20, maybe 25-plus miles per hour. Kreider shoots the puck as he's thrown off balance by Emelin's stick. As the shot goes wide, because again, Emelin took out one of his legs, Kreider realizes that he no longer has control and tries to stop. Why did he go feet first? Well, for those of you who have actually skated before, you know that in order to stop, you extend your feet forward to dig into the ice. You'd think people from Canada would acknowledge that. However, he couldn't do that properly. Because again, Alexei Emelin slashed Kreider's leg and pulled it back as he was skating 25 plus miles per hour in a shooting motion. Kreider's only able to get one skate down properly in the stop position, but not the other. And if he wasn't trying to stop, there would not be a cloud of snow in every slow motion replay up to the point where Kreider contacts Price. And if Kreider really wanted to take up Price and quote-unquote sell it, wouldn't he have actually gone feet upper body first and extended his arms into Price? So if you're going to hold anyone's feet to the fire, hold Emelin's. 
Because the collision does not happen if he does not slash Kreider. It's one thing to be mad that it happened. It's one thing to dwell on Kreider's decision to try to stop. Maybe he could have avoided Price entirely if he tried to skate past him instead of stopping. You can dwell on that forever. But to say that it was on purpose is denying reality. Also, Habs fans like Brendan Gallagher, who just came off of a five-game suspension. Oh, but there's a compilation of Kreider colliding with goalies on YouTube. I've seen that video. Other than the one with on Victor Fost of Edmonton, and one on, I think, Yaroslav Halak when he was on the Islanders, Kreider was either tripped or pushed into the goalie by a defenseman. You know why? It's because he, because Kreider is a guy who is a gigantic net front presence with a ton of speed. That makes him very difficult to defend when he's on top of his game. But yeah, Carey Price had his career ruined because of this incident. Just ignore the fact that he won the Hart, Vesna, and other awards the following season. Ignore the fact that he carried the Habs to a fluke Stanley Cup run in the COVID season, where they got their asses handed to them by Tampa Bay. Oh, he would have won if he didn't get hurt. Dustin Tokarski stunned his head for the Habs that round. Put some respect on his name. Also, if that is the case, why did the Rangers beat you guys again in the 2017 playoffs? Price was completely healthy there. And again, all the rewards he won the next year, don't say it was a lingering injury. Tanner Glass scored the first goal of that series. To wrap this rant up, I'm just going to remind you. This has been going on for 10 years. This is another reason why the Potvin sucks chant needs to die or at least be for save at least be safe for games against the Islanders. That's been going on for 45 years. I made an episode about it. You can look it up. Anyway, I'm done with that. I need to get into the next game. But the Rangers had some devastating news after this game against the Habs. Blake Wheeler is out for the season. After his leg bent in a way it really shouldn't have in this game. It was eerily similar to the Mikhail Sergachev injury after the reverse hit from Alexi Lafreniere that game. Did I bring that play up last week? If I didn't, shame on me. But even most Lightning fans said it was a typical hockey play. It was nothing dirty. It was just a freak accident and an unfortunate outcome. The play that led to Wheeler's injury seemed like a normal play too. Just a battle along the boards between Wheeler and Jaden Struble where they make contact. You know, Struble initiates the hit. And it was a very awkward fall by Wheeler. Hey, Hebs fans, Struble wanted to cause this injury. Now do you see how stupid that sounds? Okay, back on topic. Wheeler tries to stand up, but he can't put any pressure on that leg. He needs to be helped up and carted off like Sergachev. No specifics of the injury because this is the NHL. It's listed as lower body, but Wheeler is definitely out for the regular season. They did offer a glimmer of hope he can come back if the Rangers go far enough into the postseason, but that is unlikely. The comeback part. 
Hopefully not the deep playoff run part. Given he is up there in age, this could have been his last career game. Jacob Truba even talked about that in an interview, and he got a little emotional about it. I mean, those two go way back to their days in Winnipeg. Wheeler got a lot of heat from Ranger fans. I'm not going to act like I'm guiltless. Ranger fans are like Mr. Jameson in Spider-Man 2. Blake Wheeler is a menace! Now that he's gone, Blake Wheeler was a hero. I just couldn't see it. When watching him play, you can see the brains and the hockey IQ is still there. He knew where to go, but but the biggest issue is his speed. And he just looked so slow out there compared to many other teams' top skaters, especially the young guys. The next day, the Rangers called a big Matt Rempe and Jimmy Vesey's on the top line right wing for now. That top line did seem to start clicking this game with him on it. But we'll talk more about the top line in right wing later in the episode. Now, on to the big one. The stadium series matchup against the New York Islanders at MetLife Stadium in the Meadowlands. This was the Rangers and Islanders' first meeting since December 2022. The Rangers won that game, and they didn't play each other for a whole calendar year. The Rangers and Islanders did not play each other once in 2023. The NHL scheduling is so bad. The outdoor environment makes it special, but it is just a regular season game. That being said, this regular season game is a rivalry matchup against the Little Brother franchise. As Rick Carpinello put it on Twitter, It's Game 55 for the Rangers, but for the Islanders, it's Game 7 of the Stanley Cup. Very similar to the Devils and their inferiority complex, but not quite as bad. This is the second time these two teams met outdoors all time, the previous time being at Yankee Stadium in 2014, where the Rangers came out on top 2-1. Game winner from Dan Carcillo. This is the second game of the Stadium Series event this weekend, as the New Jersey Devils beat the Philadelphia Flyers the night before. And it, that was cool. The Flyers entered the stadium dressed like Rocky, while the Devils were dressed like they were in the Sopranos with the track suits. The Rangers did have a special entrance as well. They went in on an FDNY fire truck with an NYPD police escort, wearing the jerseys of FDNY and NYPD hockey players. And the FDNY NYPD hockey game is a game that needs to be seen in person. They, the Rangers walked alongside members of each team wearing those players' jerseys. My friends John and Matt Rosley, their cousin Jimmy Hall, number 34 on the police, he walked alongside Mika Zabanjad, got a picture with him. I also played a beer league with Jimmy's brother, Connor and Shane. All, all of them are great people, but excellent presentation. The Islanders walked in just wearing suits. Apparently they did do the same thing with the police and firemen, but Lou Lemorello found a way to make it boring. But anyway, back to the game itself. I had a feeling, because I am a Jet fan, how and how the New York Jets are kind of known for failure, and I can say that I am a Jet fan, I was weary about the Rangers using that locker room. I immediately drew a comparison to the Denver Broncos, who used that locker room and practiced at the Jets facility in the week leading up to the Super Bowl, where they got destroyed by the Seattle Seahawks in 2014. 
I know. I'm a stupidly superstitious guy. Keyword stupid. In net for the Rangers was Igor, coming off of the shutout win of the Calgary Flames, facing off against his buddy Ilya Sorokin. They go way back to their playing days in Russia. Also, Matt Rempe was making his NHL debut. First player in NHL history to debut in an outdoor game. He got a rookie laugh outside. It was cool to see. What was also cool to see were the Jets and Giants players like Quentin Williams, Quan Barkley. They introduced both teams after they took the ice. Puck dropped and the Rangers struck first. After Capo Caco threw a shot from the corner near the net that went wide and bounced out of the opposite corner to the point, Eric Gustafson clapped it home to give the Rangers the 1-0 lead, just under a minute and a half into the game. On the following faceoff, Puck didn't even drop, actually, and Matt Rempe had his first career fight on his first career shift. The kid who was listed at like 6'7 on NHL.com, some places have him as 6'8, he fought Matt Martin. And Martin knew it was his first game and wanted to give him something. Rempe did really well against the veteran. I'd say he got the better of him in that fight. Once it was over, Rempe was waving up his arms, pumping the crowd up. He did the same thing after fighting Ross Johnson in a preseason game at, at the Garden against the Islanders. And he's in the box icing his hand. What a badass debut. Legendary. And what made it a little more special for him is that this was on the 6th anniversary of his dad's passing. He was given the Broadway hat after the game. However, after the fight, Rempe went on to only manage to get 4 minutes, 26 seconds of ice time. You're about to hear why. Because despite Rempe handing Martin his ass, the Isles got all the momentum. The Islanders scored 3 goals in a matter of 3 minutes, 14 seconds. Brock Nelson ripped a shot from the slot, filling in Martin's spot on the fourth line. After Rangers' power play was cut short on a penalty from Alexi Lafreniere, Bo Horvat scored on a shot from the circle that I really think Igor should have had. I wonder if the glare from the sun had a factor in it. Then 16 seconds later, on the ensuing Islanders' power play, because Horvat scored on 4-on-4, four four, Matt Barzal deflected a Nelson pass into the net to make it 3-1. My God, that was bad. I was in the car on the way to a gender reveal party, and heard the goals on the radio, I shut it off until I arrived at the house. That's what the score remained heading into the second. It got worse as Chris Kreider took an early penalty in the second, and Anders Lee deflected a shot past, a shot past Shesterkin to make it 4-1 on the power play. Nobody was nearly me. Maybe Igor should have stopped it, but those deflections are tricky. I concluded that my wife was the jinx and went downstairs to watch the game by myself because I was in my living room by myself when Gustafson scored, yet she she was in the kitchen. She was near me during all Islander goals up to this point because we got in the car and that's that's when the Islanders began to score at will, it seemed like. I know, I'm a superstitious guy. But it worked. The Rangers got a power play a few minutes later, and they scored on what appeared to be a shot from Panarin that beat Sorokin clean. But replay showed that it got a piece of Vincent Trocek's stick, who had his back towards Panarin. I don't even think Trocek meant to do it. 
So it's back to a goal, two goal lead. The worst lead in hockey. The Islanders would get more chances, but Igor stood tall when he needed to. The Islanders had 35 shots heading into the third period compared to the Rangers' 20. And it would prove to be crucial as Trocek brought the Rangers back within one after a Ryan Lindgren shot on net. That was rebounded to Lafreniere, who got a shot off. And then that one was rebounded to Trocek, who cleaned it up and just barely getting it over Sorokin from the tough angle to make it 4-3 heading into the third. The Rangers came out ready to tie this game, but the Islanders would score first just under two minutes in as Alexander Romanov got a fortunate bounce into a wide-open net. He was all by himself because just a few seconds prior, he fouled through on a pass in the corner that caught Lindgren up high and hit him in the face, which is why it wasn't a penalty. Lindgren was still down in the corner at the time of the goal and needed help off the ice. He was bleeding. I mean... Lingard probably bleeds at least once a week, but he would not return to this game. Could not blame Brienne for that one. So, not only are the Rangers down two goals again, but they are also without arguably their best defensive defenseman. However, they were up to the challenge. Most of the play was in the Islanders' zone in the third period. And things got a little chippy. Trocek had a shoving match with Romanov. They went at it. And Romanov, who had a full face shield, by the way, and watching them chirp each other in the boxes was hilarious. Because you could read Trocek's lips. And he just says to him, What the fuck are you talking about? It was funny. And because of that altercation, the team skated at 4-4. Four and four. And during the 4-4, four four, Keandre Miller drew a hooking penalty on Matt Barzell with over five minutes remaining. That's when Peter LaViolette got ballsy. He pulled the goalie to make it 5-on-3 for skaters for the Rangers. He knows they have to play to win there. Can't play not to lose. The veteran coach he is. All-time great coach. They would not take advantage of it. They would take advantage when it got to 6-on-4 skaters, though. Shortly after Trocek and Romanov came out of the box, Chris Kreider deflected a shot from Panarin to make it 5-4 with just over four minutes remaining. There was life again. There was The momentum was back in the Rangers' favor. It would swing even further in their direction after Scott Mayfield took a tripping penalty on Lafreniere. Isles fans said he took a dive. I'll get into that later. This was it. It was do or die here. On the ensuing faceoff, the Islanders came oh so close to hitting the empty net from their own zone. But thankfully for the Rangers, it was a couple feet wide. The Rangers took it back into the zone and they would not let it get cleared again. At least I don't remember it being cleared again. But regardless, after a shot by Panarin went into the corner, Lafreniere made a desperate diving play to poke check the puck away from Adam Pellick and to Panarin, who then sent it back to Lafreniere in the corner below the goal line, who then sent it to Adam Fox in the high slot, who sent it to Zabanjad down low from a tough angle near the bottom of the faceoff circle, who one-timed it by Sorokin by a matter of inches. The Rangers tied the game at five with a minute and a half remaining. It's a miracle at the Meadowlands. That's right, Giant fans. And sorry, Eagle fans. <coughs> Zach. <coughs> We're taking it back. Like Randall Graves and Clerks 2. New York's taking it back. Clerks 2, great movie. You should watch it. 
The score would remain tied heading into overtime. The Rangers outshot the Islanders in the third, 16-6. And my heart was pounding. My wife's family, they're my family too, they were watching it upstairs. And their TV was a second or two ahead of the TV I was watching on. And they all heard me screaming at the top of my lungs the moment Zibanejad scored on the TV I was watching on. So, like, once they saw the puck hit the net on their TV, it's like, oh, gotta wait to hear Jack. And then they just heard me screaming, yeah! (laughs) Well, anyway, heading into OT, I'm like, is this a take-the-point-and-run kind of night? I'd hate to come all the way back in this atmosphere just to lose. I was scared it would be that way as the Isles won the opening face-off. All that space the Isles had with guys like Barzell, Horvat, and I'm just like, okay, survive this possession. Well, Noah Dobson, who for whatever reason is being propped up as better than Adam Fox by Isles fans, tries to pass it across to Horvat. Keyword tries. Because Panarin deflects the pass to himself in the slot. He was all alone in front of Sorokin. He tries to deke Sorokin. And gets a shot off, and it goes off of Sorokin's glove and back to Panarin. Sorokin dives on his back in desperation. Dobson slides behind Sorokin in a desperate attempt to block anything that gets by his goalie. Panarin shoots it. It goes off Dobson, and then off of Sorokin, and it trickles over the line. Shortly after Dobson's slide knocks the net off one of the moorings, the play is blown dead. And when I saw this, I I knew immediately that had the net stayed on, it would be a goal. It crossed the line in between where both posts would be had Dobson not knock off one of them. The Rangers knew that too as they all stormed to the ice and started celebrating. All of us at Uncle Bob's, except maybe the, de- maybe the Devils fans. Hi, Gary. Hi, Emily. Hi, Cheryl. All- we were all watching the TV, holding the celebration because we were thinking... Or at the very least, I was thinking, this is too good to be true. But I went to Toronto for review. As they're showing the replay, Ray Ferraro was listing reasons why it possibly would not count. He was like, oh, I don't know. I hate Ferraro. I take back almost every bad thing I said about Doc Emmerich and Pierre Maguire. Keyword almost. Sean McDonough stinks too. Why couldn't Bob Wischusen call this game? He's three times the hockey announcer McDonough is. It makes even more sense considering Bob's the New York Jets radio play-by-play announcer and they're playing at the Jets stadium. But Ferraro, it seems like he just loves to shit on the Rangers. He 100% rubs his nipples while he does it too, like those cable guys in that South Park episode. Because he enjoys it. Look up that episode of South Park. I hate the way he says against, too. He pronounced it against. <sighs> Anytime he says it, I want to punch the speaker on my TV. But he did not want, Ferrar did not want that goal to count. Meanwhile, Dave Jackson comes on and says it should be a goal because Dobson knocked the net off. Whether it was intentional or not, he was the one who did it. And the puck crossed the line in between where the posts were. Then the ref, Jake Brink, eats to center ice. After review, we have a good goal on the ice. It was not too good to be true. 
It was true. The Rangers won 6-5 in overtime. Panarin's goal was his 32nd of the year. A new career high for him. And the third fastest overtime goal in Ranger history. The Rangers are now 5-0-0 outdoors. Coming back in four of those games. And becoming the first team in NHL history to come back from three goals and win an outdoor game. Our friend and colleague Alex Reckless was at three of those games, including this one. I was at the one against Devils at Yankee Stadium ten years ago. And of the four comebacks the Rangers had, three of them were from two goals or more. But anyway, back to this game. This was Laviolette's first win outdoors after his pre after losing his previous four attempts. What a way to get it done. I didn't hear it because we were all celebrating at the party, but I saw the videos after. The pop from the crowd is one of the best I ever heard. I saw a video where you can hear the fans singing the goal song from outside MetLife Stadium. And Zach will like this. It reminds me of when the Eagles played the Vikings in the NFC Championship years ago. And someone took video from their home in New Jersey where they could see the stadium they were miles away, yet they could still hear the Eagles fans singing Fly, Eagles, Fly, doing the E-A-G-L-E-S chant. Well, in those MetLife parking lot, you could hear the Ranger fans going, Go! It was amazing. There were 79,000 fans at that game. I'd say probably about 80-90% to 90% of them were Ranger fans. That was a Rangers crowd. The NHL knocked it out of the park with these two games. Rangers Islanders had 79,000. Flyers and Devils had 70,000. That game, three sections were blocked off because of a Jonas Brothers concert. Oh, you need them to sell tickets, Devils? Lame. I'm kidding. I thought I was insanely superstitious not watching with my wife, Bree. But my friends Nikki and James Archer had me beat. Nikki made James stay in the bathroom when the Rangers made it 5-4. But in all seriousness, this was probably the most iconic regular season game in Rangers history. The environment, the comeback to win, the fact you were playing one of your biggest rivals. It's hard to think of what would top this one. There is some recency bias here. It did not look like it was going to be this way. Crazy to think that a game that featured Igor Shesterkin and Ilya Sorokin would combine for 11 goals total. Steve Falcott tweeted the chart. Each one allowed a little more goals than expected, but it made for some great hockey. That, and I mentioned before, the Rangers goalies' records when they allowed four more goals. Igor finally has a, something in the win column in that category. I texted my parents when it was 4-1. Quote, not that I was expecting it, but do not get me a jersey from this game for my birthday. Unquote. A few minutes later, after they won, I then texted my dad, Mika Zibanejad, large. <laughs> I know, I'm hilarious. My mom called me a fair-weather Johnson. Hey, I don't want a jersey that they only wore once in a game that they lost. A game that they lost badly to a division rival. Because all I think about is how they lost that game. Hell, I saw a guy at Amendment 21 in Point Pleasant on Saturday wearing a Claude Drew 2012 Winter Classic jersey. Nice jersey, but you know what I think about anytime I see that jersey? Henrik Lundqvist stoning Danny Briere on the penalty shot 
to preserve the Rangers' 3-2 victory. You know what I especially love about these uniforms and the helmets? Not a single corporate sponsor on them. Team League Equipment Maker, as it should be. It just makes the photos from this game all the more better. That's right, Tom, I'm never going to let this die. And of course, you got the discourse from Islander fans. Lafreniere took a dive! Oh yeah? If you all feel that way, why did you bully Scott Mayfield off of Instagram? Surely you'd think he was the victim of a bad call if that was the case. Maybe don't stick, put your stick in another player's skates? You think those penalties were soft? Have you tried not having the worst penalty kill in the league? Have you tried not allowing the most multi-goal and three-goal comebacks this season? Have you tried not being the worst third-period team in hockey this year? Have you tried actually hitting empty nets? The Islanders have not hit an empty net once this year, according to Lassie. Then Evan Roberts goes on WFAN and says, Ranger fans are acting like they won the Stanley Cup, and the typical NPC response, One Cup since World War II! Dude, Ranger fans are so amped about this because of the comeback in the setting. Had the Rangers just won this like 3-2 or 1-0 or a more normal hockey score, we'd be happy, but definitely not to the excitement level we've had the past three days. We'd feel the same way we did 10 years ago the first time we beat the Isles outdoors. Like, nice, a good win over a rival. Let's keep this going. There's no way that it reaches this level of excitement if it's a standard... If it's a standard hockey game. You know, a standard hockey game where you're not overcoming a three-goal deficit and two goals to tie it with the goalie pulled. Like, think about all the times the Boston Bruins beat the Toronto Maple Leafs in the first round the past decade plus. They beat the Leafs multiple times in Game 7's at TD Garden the past 11 years. You know which one stands out to the most to Bruins fans? The 2013 one. You know why? Because they overcame a three-goal deficit and scored twice with the goalie pulled and won in overtime. Just like the Rangers did in this game, except this was an outdoor game and not the playoffs. Yeah, maybe playing the Islanders had a factor in it, but it's because we're relieved we don't have to hear from you after a blowout loss. We were bracing for it. The setting obviously plays a big factor in it. Johnny Lazarus asked Panarin and Zibanejad after the game about it, and they got emotional talking about it. It truly was a special thing to play hockey outdoors. Speaking of Velocity, he has this idea of having this every year, similar to the Beanpot Tournament in Boston. Just these four teams go against each other outdoors at this time of year. Now, part of me wants the Rangers to never play outdoors again so they can be undefeated forever. But if this were the case, I'd welcome it. So I'd welcome it even if we don't win because you get right back at it next year. So I love that idea. But back to Evan Roberts and it's coping. As for the one cup since World War II comment, dude, the Islanders have not won since 1983. Four straight Stanley Cups, 19 playoff series wins. Congratulations, Al Bundy. You peaked in high school. Best four years of your life. 
The last time you guys won, David Lee Roth and Michael Anthony were both still in Van Halen. That's how long ago it was. At least I was alive for the Rangers in 1994. A month and a half old counts. Then the Devil fans read this and feel the need to interject themselves because they can't squander an opportunity to trash the Rangers and say, well, we have three. The last one in 2003. Okay, Devil fans, congratulations. Your last cup was closer to the invention of high-definition television than ours was. Whoop-dee-doo. Now, I am weary of Paul Bisnett being on the Rangers bandwagon now. It has not derailed them yet. I love him shit-talking Butch Goring on Twitter, though. I'm still worried about Biz's jinx, but okay, Biz. I'll welcome it for now. Frankie Borelli is still the most annoying Islander fan. Oh, Borelli's has touch tunes. If they do, people should just log on and spam it, spam their jukebox with Bam, Baba O'Reilly after every time the Rangers beat the Islanders. You don't have to be there. I spammed the touch tunes jukebox at Morse Tavern with Goodbye Horses multiple times from my grandma's house. Because I knew Tom and Alex were there at times. That's probably a reason it got taken out. Me and me playing that song and Alex and Tom just constantly spamming it with girls from the Beastie Boys. I know, I'm an ass. I'd still happily be Frankie's co-worker. He is a Yankee fan. Like I said, game 55, not the cup. The Rangers should not get hung over because two days after was game 56 at the Garden against the Dallas Stars. Dallas, who coming off a over coming off a shootout loss to the Bruins the day before, Dallas, who was a top five team in the league, leading the Central by three points, the Blue Shirts comeback win on Sunday tied the tied themselves with Dallas and New Jersey for the most comeback wins so far this season with eighteen, and the Rangers know all about it as they squandered a two goal lead and fell to Dallas in Dallas earlier this season. And to nobody's surprise, Ryan Lindgren was able to go to go this game. He got 10 stitches and was sent back out there in a full fishbowl. It made for great pictures. This kid is a fucking warrior. The story tonight, though, was Igor Shesterkin. Stopping 41 of 42 Dallas shots. That's a 976 save percentage. Nice. Had there not been one failed clearing attempt on the power play, he would have had a shutout. The one goal he allowed was a mere high skin in shot that found its way to him with a gaping net after the chaos created after said failed clearing attempt. But this is a game I think if Igor keeps this up, you can confidently look back at and say, oh yeah, this was the moment he came back. He had his swagger. He was confident. He was no longer afraid. He welcomed the challenge. He made a couple windmill saves. He robbed Jamie Benn of a one-timer in the third to preserve the lead. And I didn't think he'd have anything crazier than that. But then he robbed Tyler Sagan on a rebound goal at the doorstep, diving with his stick on a wide-open net. It got near the goal line, but it wouldn't go any further. My jaw was on my lap. He was sending the puck up ice all game. 
even tried to get the empty netter, but it was blocked. It didn't matter. Fox scored in the first. Capococco scored a beautifully placed shot on a 4-on-4 four four in the second. And Trocek iced the game in the third with the empty netter. That brings us to today. The Rangers have an eight-game win streak. Get a load of this. The Rangers' record when allowing three goals or less, 33-2-2. So, I got four major things to take out of this stretch. One is Igor, and I already went into detail about him just now. Only thing I could add in is his little tongue-in-cheek joke at Sorokin Romanova in his post-game interview on Tuesday. Don't get cocky, Igor. Love confidence, but there's a difference between confidence and cockiness. Next would be Kako. He's been playing great with much more confidence, and it's paying off because he's riding a five-game point streak. You could see the confidence and skill on display with his goal on Tuesday with the space he had. He even earned some playing time on the top line with Sabanjad and Kreider that game. That being said, I don't really want to take him off the third line with Johnny Brzezinski and Cooley. It seems he has a home there, and all three of those guys play well off of each other. I mean, in the game against the Islanders, he made some great defensive plays along to go along with his assist. You know, some plays to clear the puck or tie up some guys near Shesterkin. So doing those things that don't always show up on the score sheet. He had only two points up to November before getting hurt. 15 games since coming back, he has eight points. But looking at these past nine games, he has seven points, including two goals. Get a lot of this. Without Kaka on the lineup, the Rangers are 11-9-1. and and with him in the lineup, they're 26-7-2. He is more important to this team than people realize. And a side note. Alexi Lafreniere had two points in the stadium series game. That angle does not happen without his desperate poke check. But back to the main focuses. Mika's Banjad is starting to shoot a little more. I have said time and time again how he's not scoring because he's not shooting that shot is his best asset, but I still don't see him as fully confident yet. There were one or two moments in the game against the Stars where Mika and Kreider had two-on-ones, and Mika predictably passed it to Kreider. Dude, shoot the damn thing. Only then will you break out of your five-on-five drought and, and start putting the puck in the net more consistently, which, translate in, which translates into my fourth and final point. The Blake Wheeler injury makes top-line right wing more important than adding depth to the bottom six. Jimmy VC has done well this year, but he's not the caliber player to be a top-line winger on a Stanley Cup winning team. I say VC can be a piece of a Stanley Cup team in their bottom six. Well, guess what? If you trade for a top six winger, whether it be Frank Vitrano, Vlad Tarasenko, or some other option available, not only could they potentially wake up Zabanjan and Kreider at five-on-five, but that also puts VC in the bottom six for a role that is more suitable to him. So, I look at trading for a top line right winger as killing two birds with one stone in this scenario. The first round pick is in play. One thing is for sure, Brendan Othman and Gabe Perot should be untouchable. Discourse on, I saw like some, you know, randos tweeting, oh, would you trade Brendan Othman blah, blah, and this for this? And I'm like, dude. Shut the hell up. And the discourse especially loves to talk about trading Kako, but as I just went over, I think we're starting to realize just how important he is to this team now. And had he not be on this team, we'd be desperately trying to get a guy like him in the bottom six even more so than we are now. So my take is this. What's more important? Top six right winger 
depth in the bottom six. Well, with Jimmy VC, I'd say you do if you do get a top six right winger, you are then Adam then adding depth to the bottom six. Now, before I get into next week's schedule, let's reflect on this winning streak. The Rangers beat good teams. Even great teams, like cup contending teams. The Lightning, the Avalanche, the Stars. I know they're not in the playoff spot, but the pesky Islanders that are not dead until you know for sure that they're dead. Not only are they winning, they're winning tight competition games. Games that end like 2-1, one goal games, rivalry games. These are the types of games you're going to be getting on a regular basis in the spring come playoff time. So it's a good thing that the Rangers are up to the challenge there. Do I think this current team is talented enough to win a Stanley Cup this year? Right now, no. Like I said, they need help in the top six. They get that help in the top six, it does help their bottom six too. Because like I said, putting Jimmy VC down there where he's more fit. Maybe there can still be a move made there to help the bottom six even further. Whether or not that happens, I will say this. This team showed me, especially after that comeback win on Sunday, that they have the hearts of champions. That's going to be a big thing later on down the line. Whether it be this year, next year, or the next five years from now. There's no quit in New York, and there's no quit in the Meadowlands. So, let's look at next week. After playing in one team Stanley Cup on Sunday, they're playing in another team Stanley Cup on Thursday. They head to New Jersey for the second time this season. The Rangers won the first matchup earlier in this season. Game 57 of the regular season for the Rangers. Game 7 of the Cup for the Devils. I know, a winning streak can't last forever. But please, don't lose to the Devils. One thing is for sure. At least half the people going to the Prudential Center are not paying because they want to see Jack Hughes play. You see what I did there? Devil fans, we don't have an inferiority complex. Dude, your mascot and Gritty, the Flyers mascot, threw cake at a dude dressed in a Ranger jersey when you two played each other. I know it's a skit, but we all know. Devil fans can't keep the Rangers' names out of their mouths. I already bitched about two teams' fan bases this episode. Refer to my first... Refer to my rant the first time the Rangers played and beat the Devils earlier this season. I will say this, regarding that Devils-Flyers game, I know the Flyers are higher in the standings, but I think the Devils are the scarier team. Better pray they don't get Markstrom or some other goalie. Because they are fast. Speaking of the Flyers, the Rangers have them for the second time on Saturday. The Rangers won the first matchup in Philadelphia earlier this season. And then a matchup with the Columbus Blue Jackets on Sunday. Third match of the season between those two teams. They have split the first two. So, that is where I will leave you guys. No prospect report because everything is still just about the same. Gabe Perot is still leading the NHL in points as a freshman. Crazy to think about what this kid's going to do for the Rangers. But if you've made it this far, thank you very much for listening. This is Jackknife. Have a wonderful night, everyone.